speech. A lot of teachings about using words wisely and kindly and appropriately, uh, sensitive to time, place, impact, etc. But he also talked very specifically about being mindful of speech. So he talks both about right speech as a practice, but he also talks about being mindful of speech. And he talks about it in a section called Full Awareness, where he encourages practitioners to be fully aware when they're sitting or standing or walking or lying down, whether they're moving forward or backward, whether they're reaching or pulling, when they're eating, he encourages people to be fully aware. He encourages people, he says, in both eating and defecating, urinating, be fully aware. And then he says also in speaking and keeping silent, to be fully aware. And I like to start by mentioning this teaching because this teaching of full awareness is in the four foundations of mindfulness. And it's, in, it's not just anywhere in the teachings of mindfulness about how to uh, uh, mindfully speak or mindfully listen, but it's in the section of the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body. So mindfulness of speaking and mindfulness of listening, which we're engaging in right now, is a mindfulness of the body practice. So I want to encourage you to practice while you're listening here. It, it, your practice is as valuable or, or, or is actually invaluable to the talk. I would say more valuable even than the content of my language, of my words. That your presence, your embodiment is uh, essential to the Dharma. And so my words hopefully will support that or stimulate that realizing of the Dharma in some way, shape, or form. But that Dharma is not simply in my words, it's sitting in your seat. So the, the uh, guideline that I like to offer, or the way to play with this practice, being mindful of speaking and keeping silent or listening, is to begin, put 100% of your attention on your body. See what it's like. We've, been, we've started with the body. We're going to continue with the body for a while. See what your body's like now. See meaning feel your body, sense your body. Let your mind mingle or merge with your bodily experience right now so you know it directly, not as an idea, not as an image even or a picture, but as a felt sense. And notice, for the most part, as you do this, if the mic's working, I'm speaking loud enough, and your ears are working, you'll hear me. You don't have to do the hearing. You don't have to do the listening. And I want to add a little more complexity. As you keep putting basically 100% of your attention on your body, see what it's like to open your eyes, even though you're focusing on your body. And let your eyes be kind of wide open, actually. And keep putting 100% of your attention on your body, on your on the sensations, the warmth, the liveness that's here. Maybe the touch points, but more general, softer, full sense of body sitting here. And if you open your eyes and look in my direction, even though you're sensing your body, 
I will appear. Maybe John also will be in the picture and some of our friends above. The effort that I think is most skillful here is not so much to do the listening or to do the seeing, but to sense the body which is seeing, which is hearing, which is knowing what's happening. Even you'll notice as I'm giving different instructions and you're trying them out, your mind's working fine. You don't have to do your mind. You don't have to do your brain. Just a little bit of inclining towards your body and letting the body function. And so we'll play with this through the, throughout the talk, because like any practice, we'll forget to pay attention to our body, or you'll get caught up in how fabulous the talk is, and you know, you'll forget about your body, and then I'll get boring, and you'll say, what am I doing here? And maybe you'll remember your body at that point. This is from Zen Master Rinzai. He said, followers of the way, the Dharma of the heart has no form and pervades, pervades the ten directions. In the eye it is called seeing, in the ear hearing, in the mouth tasting, in the hands touching, in the feet walking. Fundamentally, it is one light. Differentiated, it becomes the six senses. The Dharma of the heart has no form and pervades the ten directions. In the eye it is called seeing, in the ear hearing, in the mouth tasting, in the hands touching, in the feet walking. Fundamentally it is one light, differentiated, it becomes the six senses. This is the Dharma, sitting here and sitting here and sitting here and sitting here. This is where we begin to turn our attention to realize, to make real the Dharma of the Buddha. And we've already begun. We've already begun with talking about the four postures, as Sharda said, that the Buddha teaches mindfulness in four postures, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. We begun working with the breath, the breathing. And it's, it's just a little technical, technical detail, but I like these things sometimes in the Pali Canon. When you read the teachings on mindfulness of the body, it begins with mindfulness of breathing and then goes to mindfulness of posture. If you look at the Chinese canon, which of course things are never the same if you have more than two, one person, right? So then if you look at the Chinese canon, it begins with teaching posture and then mindfulness of breathing. Kind of doesn't matter, although I like the Chinese, I like teaching the posture first, working with posture, sitting, standing, moving, lying down, and then bringing the breath in, because the posture begins to give us a sense of embodiment, of actually being an embodied consciousness, not being a disembodied consciousness. And so we emphasize the body as one of the main dharma doors, dharma gates. And it's, as Gil said yesterday, we, like, we'll start here and we'll begin with body and breathing and then expand the instructions progressively. And in that way, we're following the teachings of the Buddha, the teachings of mindfulness, uh, the four foundations of mindfulness, the, the foundational foundation is mindfulness of the body. This is the root, this is the home, this is the center of mindfulness. And it all expands from here, from our, our capacity, our willingness, our engagement in actually being present here 
with, as, in, of a body. In our tradition, it's valued very highly. This is from my teacher's teacher's teacher who died at the, probably in the 1950s, which seems a long time ago now. Ajahn Mun, who said, in your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature, see the elements that comprise it, see the impermanence of the body, the selflessness of the body, while sitting, standing, walking, lying down in the four postures. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. This is awakening, awakening in the body, awakening through the body, awakening by being present here, grounding, centering, uh, settling ourselves in the present moment with what is alive here in the present moment. We often say, I'm alive here. That's one way to put it. But definitely the body is alive here. And we know at some point the body won't be alive. You know, when my father died, one of the, who'd been uh, old, he was old, 91 when he died, 92, and lived a you know, reasonably fine life as they go, lives. Uh, it was, it was so striking to see that the body wasn't him. It was like, oh, his body died. It was very clear. And what was striking was he'd been old long enough, I was really holding him in my mind as an old man. And he died, and I realized, oh, he's not an old man anymore. <laughs> it was actually quite, I was quite happy about that. Wasn't, he wasn't, he, and, he, and in fact, he was never really an old man in a certain, his body got old, right? And if we project, if we think that somebody's their body, well, then they got old and died. But that may not be exactly the way it is. The bodies die, that's for sure. So that's a roundabout way of saying part of the teachings on mindfulness of the body in addition to the elemental nature of the body, the, the breath of the breathing of the body, the postures of the body, the impermanence of the body, the selflessness of the body, and the mortality of the body, the temporality of our lives here as a body and the mystery of the fact that we're here at all, that we're aching as a body, or we're tired as a body, or we've got grumpy bodies that are talking to us, or we're, there's pleasure in the body, or delight in the body, or sense of aliveness. So we have this wonderful tool to realize the Dharma. And I want to encourage you, we all want to encourage you to really, not, don't let the mind go away from the body while you're here. Stay close to yourself. Stay close to the aliveness that's here that we end up, we think is, oh, that's me, this body. Let's see, we want to investigate, as Ajahn Mun said. See, what is this? What is this? What's happening here? What's true here? Not as a conceptual question, but as a question that we can investigate in its immediacy, in its aliveness, in its kinesthetic reality, in its breathing right now, in its breath. So I'd like to focus mostly on the breathing.
as our main practice for the moment as we begin. This is Anapanasati, mindfulness of the in and out breath. And it's one of the main skillful means, one of the main upayas for beginning to collect our attention in the present moment, in the here and now, with what's actually happening here rather than our ideas or our beliefs or our imaginings or our memories or our history or our impressions or our thoughts. And those are all kind of interesting things. I mean, I like all of those things, memories and thoughts and ideas and fantasies. They're all okay. But there may be something more interesting happening right here, right where we sit, right where this aliveness is that won't be here forever exactly. What do we make of this? How can we realize what is here, what is being offered to us in this life. You know, if you, if you spend almost any amount of time in Buddhism, you will hear a phrase sooner or later where you'll hear this phrase, precious human birth, precious human birth. And it also points to how important this embodiment is, this incarnation that we have as human beings is. That this is considered precious in Buddhism, our aliveness, the fact that we're here at all, the fact that we're breathing at all, the fact that we're knowing that we're breathing, the fact that there's an opportunity to wake up and you're all availing yourself of that opportunity. And we want to as much as we can maximize our time here in the service of that awakening. One of the good places to start is to be mindful of the body and the body breathing. To start to feel it, even as you're listening to me. It's as important as my words, your contact, your sense of the body, your sense of the breathing. One of the reasons it's important is we begin to compose ourselves with the body and the breath. How many people here felt a little uncomposed during the day or agitated or tired or restless or bored or I should just go on then all the hands start to go up good two hands it's really normal it's really part of what happens as we stop it's part of the jet lag of how quickly we've been moving how preoccupied we are with so many things so many things that are you know that take our time and attention life, relationships, work, play, all of it. And here we're, all of a sudden we go shh, and we're turning our attention to what's here. And so we want to begin to, as we were saying last night, relax. We want to actually learn how to relax, slowly letting the breath and body gather our attention in one place, create a sense of uh, wholeness or unity by being with the body, with the breathing. And this is what's mostly often called um, concentration. I don't think it's such a good word, personally. I think people have a lot of, um, uh, let's put it this way, I think samadhi is a much better word, samadhi because it doesn't have the baggage of concentration, of having been told, you know, you better concentrate or you'll never get into Harvard, or you better concentrate or you'll get fired, or, you know, like concentration is something you have to do and is hard and you better do it right or something bad will happen. At least that's, that's I remember that kind of flavor with the word concentration. 
were samadhi because it's, you know, it's a Sanskrit word. I never grew up with it. My parents never said, you better go into samadhi or you're going to be in trouble, young man. You know, I mean, my own mind can do that, but, but samadhi, we, you know, we translated here on the concentration retreat, we translated as unification of mind that we start to bring the disparate parts of ourselves together. We start to unify or become whole with the body and the breathing. We compose ourselves. And it's not just, um, I don't think of concentration either as being tense at all. I actually think of it very much as a relaxed concentration. That, that one of the keys to concentrating excuse me, one of the keys to samadhi is relaxation, is learning how to relax with the body, whatever's happening in it, learning how to relax with the breathing, whatever's happening with the breath. Um, um, If you look in the dictionary, one of the definitions of concentration is the point around which a circle is drawn, actually. I can't remember if that's a definition or that's from the etymology. And since my etymologist is here, I will acknowledge that uh, confusion. But the point around which a circle is drawn, and I love that image of concentration because it points to the breadth of what samadhi is, that there's a center, but the center isn't the only part. It's It's a big, it's inclusive concentration. It includes a, a, a focusing and a center or a concenter, concentrate, an essence to it, but it, it doesn't limit. It has a bigger circle that can include anything. So for example, um, uh, I may be, one may be, and, and it's related, I relate this to a term that Tanisaro Bhikkhu uses when he talks about concentration from the Buddha called mahagatam chittam, mahagatam chittam, which means um, an enlarged awareness. So now we're talking about concentration as a very full awareness, not a limited awareness. It can be focused. Maybe you're following the breath at the belly. So maybe you're aware of the breath at the belly. So there's a center, but it doesn't deny everything else that's happening. Maybe you're, you know, your shoulder is hurting, so you're aware of that. That's also in the, in the, in the circle, even while you're focusing. You, you're not trying to get rid of anything. It's more like foreground, background, foreground, background, that you're letting the center be more in the foreground, but you're also maybe aware of the background. And at some point, maybe the background will fade away and only the center will be there, and that's great. But when the background comes back, you can also allow that to move into your enlarged awareness. It doesn't have to disturb your sense of composure. The composure can be very big. So concentrate also means to distill down to the essence. And it's really the movement from our energy, our minds, our hearts, uh, our, our bodies being kind of more gross, disturbed, you know, moving from sleepiness to agitation and restlessness, etc. But it's a movement that happens as we begin to compose ourselves with the body and with the breathing. The movement is from more gross to more refined to more subtle to more sublime from gross to begin to refine a bit and then to get more and more subtle and then the sublime begins to show itself. That part of what the Dharma is, part of what we are, is something that's sublime. When there is freedom, when we are not bound or caught or or in the thrall of greed or aversion or delusion, if we pay attention, we may begin to discover the sublime. When there is the absence that shows us what peace is, we may discover how sublime 
the peace of our being is. Now, concentrate also, they talk about to draw together, to collect, to assemble. And this again, this is the movement towards unification, towards becoming whole, W-H-O-L, becoming whole. Not being so fragmented as we are normally, not being so dispersed, but actually being here, letting the fullness of our being be here and begin to show itself, reveal itself, reveal the beauty of it, the uh, heartfulness, the love, the loving kindness, the compassion of our, of our nature, revealing the, the, the mystery of what's here revealing the emptiness of what's here. And of course, the emptiness is not a void. The emptiness is full. The emptiness is full. It's beautiful. It's why people would meet the Buddha and they would, some people would just be uh, just awed by his presence. Because the emptiness of the Buddha wasn't dry or wasn't dead or wasn't nothing. It, it wasn't static. Emptiness means there's no stasis. There's no stasis. There's nothing static here. And of course, the opposite of stasis is ecstasis. Everybody know what that is? It's ecstasy. Ecstasis. To begin to open to the ecstatic. You know, we, we have a kind of a Hollywood image of ecstatic, you know, like firecrackers going off or orgasms or something like that. We fail to see the ecstatic in each moment, that there is no stasis, that everything here is alive, everything here is appearing actually magically, totally empty and full full, full, here. So, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, a lot of us associated concentration with tensing or tightening or striving. I know it was definitely the way I thought about concentration early in my practice, and it took me a while to learn that or pain, actually. One of the first, the first way I learned how to concentrate on a meditation retreat was through pain, sitting with pain in my knee. And I sat, I vowed to sit one sitting without moving. And I was young enough to do it. And, uh, and it, was, I, I, it was about six days in, and I just vowed, I'm not going to move. I'm just going to sit with the pain. Because they kept saying, sit with the pain, be mindful of it be aware. And I was noting it, pain, pain. And of course, not just noting the pain, but noticing my attitude towards the pain. Shit, shit, I wish it goes away. I hate it. Aversion, aversion, pain, pain, you know, burning, tearing, throbbing, ripping. Ow, ow. You know, I was noting all of this. I was trying to stay, stay present. And slowly something started to happen. And I could, I didn't, I hadn't, didn't have a clue, but I could feel it was like something was coming together. And all of a sudden, the pain, there was a life to it that I, I didn't even know was possible. And not only was it, 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 it was, it was just, um, it started to become sublime in this bizarre way because it still hurt. I'm not, not suggesting it didn't hurt, but it was like, as the body and mind started to become one, something happened. And I started to get concentrated. And then they rang the bell. I'd done it, right? I'd made it. And it was like the pain went away, and my mind went away, and I went away. It was great. And I thought, oh, now I know how to meditate. You just have a lot of pain, and you sit with it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I was totally deluded. <laughs> I remember I came back to my next retreat and I just started sitting and not moving so the pain would come, so I would get concentrated and then I would have this kind of acid-like experience is what happened to me. I was like stoned for a day on the concentration. 
it was that was pretty cool. But but that didn't work. So I'm not <laughs> recommending that technique, okay? Although at other times it did work, but not when I was trying to make it happen. That's that's the paradox. But later I real I learned, oh, you don't have you could get concentrated in other ways, like being with the breath. Not only that, but you can get concentrated through the pleasure of being here. This is called the wise use of pleasure in meditation. That as we start to settle and collect and compose and relax, we like it. We enjoy it. And you can follow that enjoyment as long as it's here. And you can enjoy that enjoyment. Sometimes people get worried. They say to me, oh, I'm afraid of getting attached to how pleasurable it is. And I'm like, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, get attached. I won't tell anybody. And if they ask you, tell them I said it was okay. I'm the teacher, right? The pleasure of being here, of of being collected, of being unified, of being whole, is considered a very skillful pleasure to follow. The Buddha trusted that pleasure. And the story that's told is that when he was an ascetic, um, uh, thinking that pain was the way to awakening, and he was almost dying, he was living on one grade of rice a day, and the gods looked down at him, and they couldn't tell if he was alive or dead. At some point, he, he had a, a memory, he had a reverie, and he remembered being a, a boy under the rose apple tree in his uh, father's orchard. And he remembered going into a natural, deep samadhi um, with, with a lot of pleasure, with a lot of delight, with a lot of joy. And he, he contemplated it, and he remembered it. And as he remembered it, of course, it started to come alive in him. And as he remembered it, and he could kind of taste it a little bit, and he thought, oh, do I need to be afraid of this pleasure? And of course, his, his inner voice, his understanding came back, no, I don't need to be afraid of this pleasure. This is not something I need to be afraid of or is a problem. And then he said, oh my goodness, could this be the way to enlightenment? He asked that question. He's doing some inquiry here now. And in his inquiry then comes the answer. Oh, this is the way to enlightenment. And it changes his whole life in that moment. And he discovers what's called the middle way. That the body is not, the way to enlightenment is not through pain or degradating the body or um, dissociating from the body but actually from coming into the body, caring for the body, appreciating the body, seeing that the body itself, this precious human birth, is the way to enlightenment. And that the goodness of it, the delight of it, the pleasure of it in the meditative process is part of the way. Now, as part of learning how to relax, you want to experiment. As you're working with your body and the breathing, start to notice a little bit what's pleasurable, if anything, about the breath. And you could even just try right now, just take a moment, feel your body, feel the breath, and you may be tired, it may not be the exact right time, you may be restless, but just, just to see what does the breath taste like? What does your whole body feel like as it's breathing? Sometimes I know for me it's the delicacy of the breath that holds the pleasure. It seems so delicate, so effervescent, so tender. Sometimes it's the fullness of the breath, the richness that draws me in, draws me closer, wanting to get very close to it. Sometimes it's the smoothness. There's a, there'll be a texture to the body and the breathing. It'll feel very smooth, and I love the smoothness. 
sometimes it's sparkly, kind of like, like, like my whole body will turn into a little sparkler. And I'll just go with the spark, sparkles. Sometimes it becomes so refined, the breath, so subtle and simple. And, it, and it's like my whole mind gets as subtle, quiet, as simple as the breath. It's almost like there's not even a breath. And just to go with that. And so it, it's not any one way, but it's to start to have a more intimate relationship with our body and our breathing, with what's here. We're usually relating to our body and our breathing from a distance, and we want to get closer. We want to see how close, how intimate we can get, how sensitive we can be. Sometimes it's just the sense of uh, expansion and contraction. It's like... uh, it's the sense of being breathed itself. Because I'm definitely not doing the breathing. It's just happening. A little bit like I'm a, along for the ride. And, and all I want to do is see what allows the ride to go be more pleasurable. You know, I do a lot of bike riding these days. And I was telling... Uh, Jack Cornfield about the bike riding and I'm into going uphill and you know we have some good hills in California and he would say well what do you like about going uphill I said it's the samadhi I said at a certain point you start to touch every point of the circle with both feet in this way that you're not even using the muscle it's like you start spinning as you go uphill and you're just and the samadhi, the becoming one with it, the becoming so close to it that it's just happening. The bike takes me up the hill at a certain point. And it's, it's pleasure. There's a pleasure, a delight, a joy in that. And I'll just try to see what can I do to let it be as, as delightful as possible to go up the hill or to just sit here with myself. What can I do? How does it become pleasurable? And this is all pleasurable in the service of being present, of collecting ourselves, of letting the everyday fall away for now, of letting the the world that I've left behind for now, letting that go. Letting go of my mind a bit, my thoughts, my ideas, my beliefs, my imaginings, my projections, my worries, to begin to get here so the Dharma can begin to reveal itself right in our seat. So there are two main skills we'll learn as we play with, I was going to say practice, but even that play with being present with our body and breathing. One is mindfulness of the breath, being mindful of the breath, so mindful of What's the breath feel like? What's it taste like? What is it long? Is it short? Is it rough or is it smooth? Is it deep? Is it tiny? Is it refined? Is it gross? And we want to learn how to just be with that. Just be with it as it is. Because that that skill will translate in a broader sense of mindfulness. We'll go from learn, being with the breath as it is to learning how to be with every experience as it is. So we're starting to build the muscle. This is part of going to the gym of mindfulness. That we'll learn to be with the breath when it's rough or smooth or long or short, any way it is. And then we can also, um, let me just see. So, so we learn how to be as it is. We learn a quality of receptivity of being present with things as they are by being with the breath as it is. We also learn to not judge the breath, but just to accept, to allow, and then to kinesthetically contemplate, to feel it, to move to that level of just being in the felt sense, the contact with, 
and then the wholeness that comes. And this is very skillful. And then there's a second skill that's very helpful, very important, which is not just mindfulness of the breath, but mindfulness with the breath, mindfulness with the breathing. And this is using the breath as a friend, as an ally, as we sit here. And this is, um, here I'll read you, here's how the Buddha talked about it, mindfulness of the breath. He says, while breathing in long, one fully comprehends I breathe in long. When breathing out long, one fully comprehends I breathe out long. So we're knowing what's happening as it's happening. And then after a few of those, he switches in the teaching. He says, one trains oneself sensitive to the whole body I breathe in. Sensitive to the whole body I breathe out. Now we're, now we're doing mindfulness with the breath. We're not just paying attention to the breath, but we're paying attention to what's here, and the breath is a support for that. It provides a, a through line. It provides balance, support. It becomes an ally. What he goes on, he says, one trains oneself, calming the whole body, I breathe in. Calming the whole body, I breathe out. We're using the breath to calm ourselves, nourish ourselves, um, create a sense of well-being. And it's something that we can do. We, the breath will do that as we compose ourselves with the breathing. And that sense of well-being then becomes a further basis later for insight to arise, for the Dharma to show itself. So here, try this for a minute. Mindfulness with the breathing. However you are right now, don't even move. Just be just as you are and breathe with it. If you're tired, breathe with it for a minute. If you're agitated, breathe with it for a minute. If you're bored, breathe with it. Don't you don't remember the this is the circle around which that point from the point. The point is the the breath, but we're 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 making this big circle, so we're gonna include whatever is true for you in this moment. I think it was Gil said to to practice the Dharma, we have to be truthful. So we wanna be truthful about what's happening. You could have a cranky mind or a cranky body or whatever it is, breathe with it. Let, it. let it be bathed in the breath right now. How many people had physical discomfort or pain today? Maybe I should ask how many people didn't. That's one. Okay, great. Um, that gives me hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, when you have physical discomfort, you can switch from mindfulness of the breath to mindfulness with the breath. Breathe with your knee when your knee hurts. Even if you're staying with the pain, you want to breathe with it. Bathe it with the breath. Let the breath help support your staying present, awake to what's happening now. If you have grief or sadness or anger, breathe with it. You know, my guidelines about emotions like that are mostly let it rip. Let it rip, meaning don't act on it, don't, don't go hit somebody, but don't repress it. Breathe with it, allow it, see what its nature is. We're gonna investigate this human form, this precious human birth, to see where the Dharma is, even in our anger, even in our fear, even in our joy. Breathe with it. This is my favorite instruction to give people. When you feel unconcentrated, breathe with it. <laughs> There's so much judgment about when we're unconcentrated on the first day or two of a retreat. Breathe with it, even if you're not concentrated. Let the breath be a friend so we can be present. Doing some editing here as I go.
don't underestimate mindfulness of breathing. Don't underestimate mindfulness of the breath. You know, when I was first a young man in the Dharma, it was really important. It was like that was stressed a lot, mindfulness of breathing and settling with the breath and concentrating. And then I've seen the different waves of different, different practices or parts of practice getting elevated, other parts being denigrated. And I've seen the breath go up and down, I've seen it go up and down. In my own practice, I saw a big, big wave of Dzogchen come in at some point. I was said, no, if you were being mindful of the breath, that was so tacky. It was <laughs> totally not, you know, it wasn't a total, you know, nature of mind, open, clear, knowing. Or, uh, and then I saw the breath come back again, and all of a sudden jhanas and concentration got, started to get elevated again. Then there's been a new wave of, oh no, don't do any of that, just pay attention to your attitude. And, and all of these things are good. It's not really one or the other. They're all good, and they're all true, actually. Um, but don't underestimate mindfulness of breathing. It can take you all the way to enlightenment, all the way to enlightenment. Here's a more practical understanding of the value of mindfulness of breathing. It's from a woman named Alison Wright, Dharma practitioner. She's writing this. She's talking about what happened to her in Laos. She said um, she, at a certain point she was on a bus. She said a logging truck screeched around a corner on a remote Laotian jungle road and slammed into the bus I was riding. My left arm was shredded to the bone as it smashed through a window. My back, pelvis, tailbone, and ribs snapped immediately. My spleen was ripped in half, and my heart, stomach, and intestines were ripped out of place and pushed up into my shoulder. With my lungs collapsed and my diaphragm punctured, I could barely breathe. I was bleeding to death inside and out, and it would be more than 14 hours before I received real medical care. A practicing Buddhist, I had been headed to a meditation retreat in India where I had planned to sit for three silent weeks. Instead, I laid crushed and bleeding at the side of the road. Struggling to draw air, I imagined each breath to be my last. Breathing in, breathing out, consciously willing myself not to die. I concentrated on the life force fighting its way into my lungs. Along with my breath, pain became my anchor. Along with my breath, pain became my anchor. As long as I could feel it, I knew I was alive. I thought back to the hours I had sat in meditation, fixated on the sensation of my leg falling asleep or my breathing. The discomfort that I felt of my leg falling asleep could hardly compare to the torment of my injuries but I discovered that meditating could still help me focus and remain alert, and I'm convinced it saved my life. I managed to calm myself, slowing my heart rate and the bleeding, and I never lost consciousness or went into deep shock. In fact, I never felt so aware, so clear-headed, and completely in the present moment. Don't underestimate what we're doing here. We never know what's going to happen. We never know. We live in this illusion that we know. This is such a precious time that we have to investigate, to realize the Dharma. Please make, make good use of it. Good use means skillful, be skillful, be kind, caring. Um, learn how to settle yourself here as best you can. And when you're not settled, breathe with it. Be as kind to your unsettledness as you can. It will help bring the composure, the relaxation. Let's sit together for a minute.
for your kind attention. We have about 35 minutes for walking practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.